Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, does buy-to-let still work? Renting out second property became the shortcut to financial security and, in some cases, great wealth for a generation of Brits. But ructions in the mortgage and property markets have put all of that in question. That's our focus today. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us, or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Roll back 30 years or so, and the small landlord, that's the private individual owning perhaps one or two rental properties, was a relatively rare thing. But changes in tenancy rules and innovations in the mortgage market in the 1990s changed all that. Throw in a decades-long house price boom and the number of private landlords exploded in the UK, reaching a peak of almost 3 million in 2017. Since then, however, the UK's army of small landlords has been dwindling and just recently a trickle of landlords leaving the market has turned into a flood. What's causing the exodus and can buy-to-let still work as an investment? To help answer that, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Tom, uh, welcome along. Um, We're going to talk today about the calculus for buy-to-let and ask if the sums still add up uh, for it as an investment. But let's start with some of the background to all this and the history, because for a long time in recent history, it really has felt that buy-to-let was a, a shortcut for many people to achieve financial security that they might not otherwise be able to obtain. Yeah, absolutely right. And, you know, we probably all have sort of uh, uh, anecdotal evidence of people we know who've, uh, who've, who've started out with, with you know, one, one property mm. and then built up a little portfolio of properties and, and uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a strong housing market, they've ended up in a very good place. And we've looked on, you know, somewhat enviously at, at, <laughs> at these people. I mean, one of the factors that you didn't mention there, of course, um, uh, which has led to the popularity of buy-to-let a, as an investment is, um, is the element of gearing, you know, that because people are borrowing money to do this you know you can you can start with a relatively small amount of money um and you know in a rising market use that to um to 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 gear up and to uh remortgage and then buy another property but it's all made possible by the fact that maybe you only have to put down 20 25 percent to start with um and you can borrow the rest of the money the key clause being in a rising market. Exactly. Um, we're going to come on to, look, to, to talk about the mass of this because it it's really interesting and how it's changed is really interesting. Um, but you're right about the anecdotal stuff. I mean, I remember um, sort of early 2000s, I would say, and people, you know, I was in my early 20s, but people my parents' age uh, who probably still would have had a few years of work ahead of them were just suddenly all retiring. And, you, you know, when you delved into exactly why that was, it turns out that, you know, sure enough, they maybe had one or even a couple of, of, of buy-to-lets, often um, with a slightly accidental element to this. You know, maybe uh, they often inherited a small property from a, a parent of theirs that had died. Uh, all quite common was um, sending their children to university, often to sort of uh, places outside the southeast where they sort of could buy the the house that their child would live in as a student, perhaps rent some rooms to friends, whatever mm. it was, suddenly the ball is rolling, right? That's mm. how often it works. Yeah, I mean, that was a very common thing. I mean, I, I went to university up in Durham 
And, you know, that was a very common thing that, you know, people, you know, from down south would look at house prices in mm. in the northeast and think, well, you know, I might just as well buy the property for my son or daughter. And, you know, the, the, the mortgage that we have will be covered by the fact that their, their two or three mates will be paying paying us rent. Yeah. And it, yeah, that that sort of equation just made a lot of sense to a lot of people. I mean, the, the reasons behind the rise, let's get into those, shall we? I mean, uh there were technical changes, there were legal changes to the way tenancies worked back in the late 80s and I think a change in the 1990s as well. It just made it more friendly for small landlords. Um, you could basically more easily change tenants and I think that was a very important part of the story of buy to let um, But crucially it was uh, the mortgage side of things that really helped. So you had buy-to-let or dedicated buy-to-let mortgages, basically interest only, but um, with a with a sort of much more simple process of of turning it into a mortgage that you could rent a property through. Um, but you feel, Tom, don't you, that that none of it would have happened without the rapid house price growth that we had nineties early 2000s and and even with the financial crisis when there was a significant dip in house prices it soon sort of resumed the upward path yeah well that's right because it, it, it was the rising prices which which made the arithmetic work so well mm. um, and combine that with the gearing of, of of a mortgage it made it possible to put some money down um, to cover the mortgage mortgage payments with with the rent that you were earning uh, on the property and then because of the gearing you could you know double your money and then uh, remortgage yeah. split that money and yeah. start again with another property so that's how people built up these portfolios of properties I mean there were some you know some stories of massive portfolios that people did but but even on the small scale to, to get two or three properties was not that difficult in a rising market well yeah no I mean yes the it almost felt like a sort of financial conjuring trick because and in fact you talk about these landlords that that built up huge portfolios. I, I started my career in journalism in local papers in Kent and, and there was a sort of famous or slightly infamous figure, uh, Fergus Wilson. He was, him and his wife, were the sort of face of this type of buy to let. They were math teachers. So they they weren't sort of, you know, this wasn't a sort of private equity fund or anything, but they, yeah, just started out, bought a property, remortgaged when the, when the uh, price rose took equity out, did the same thing again, did the same thing again. And I think they had hundreds, literally yeah. hundreds yes, of, I remember that story, yeah. of residential buy-to-let properties um, that they were just sitting on. And in that example of buy-to-let, which is kind of like the aggressive kind of doing it, I would say, or the aggressive way of doing it, um, what you end up with is lots of properties that you own, but you own small levels of equity in those properties, basically. So you really are dependent on house prices continuing to grow, right? Yep, yep. Um, okay, well, I, I said at the start there that the number of landlords peaked in 2017. Um, that's not a coincidence on that year, because it was about that time that um, some changes came down the track from the government around tax in particular. But you can see the effect of it. I was looking at figures from Hamptons, that's the estate agency, and they said that since 2016, there's a quarter of a million more homes have been sold by landlords than have been bought by landlords, which of course is a reverse of the trend that uh, had been in place up to then. Um, and, and, and back then you had 
the, the tax treatment around buying buy-to-let, that changed so that suddenly you had to pay more in stamp duty. I think there's a 3% surcharge, mm. which on a whole house is a lot of money. It, it's very significant, yes. And, and at the same time, I mean, the 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 underlying um, rate of stamp duty rose. So yeah. actually you then add on 3% on top of maybe 5% and you're getting an 8% on a second home. Mm-hmm. That's a very significant expense. And, and it wasn't only on the purchasing of, of second homes uh there were also changes around the, the 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 tax deductibility of things like your mortgage interest i'm not going to go into how it all mm. works it basically became less generous mm. it certainly became uh more complicated and it definitely became uh less advantageous for people who are higher rate taxpayers because mm. your level of tax relief was was cut and it, and indeed for for older uh, listeners i mean uh, they will remember that uh, the, the the tax treatment of um, mortgage interest payments has always been a big factor in the housing market i mean i remember in the late 1980s where there was a thing called miras right mortgage yeah. interest relief at source and and essentially you know back then it was possible to um, to offset your mortgage interest payments against your your income tax yeah. and crucially um, it was possible if you were buying a property with another person for both of you to do it. Right. So there was a very favourable treatment on people that kind of didn't really know each other coming <laughs> together and buying a, buying a property. And it, and it fuelled the, the late 1980s boom in, in, in property yeah. um, prices. So, so tax treatment has always been a really important factor here. Yeah, indeed it has. Um, but as we said, that became less generous. And that, and that was... That accompanied a sort of um, a kind of political discussion around buy to let, didn't it? Because we know that there's, you know, housing is not just a financial issue, it's a social issue mm. and an intergenerational issue as well. And the government back then, uh, it was under pressure and it was, it was, you know, buy to let was a kind of an easy target. Actually, when you delve into what the government did around then there were policies that definitely helped house prices in general things like the help to buy scheme but um absolutely the tax treatment of of rental property changed and that was a real change of the weather wasn't it because Mm. ever since then the the direction of travel has been more punitive and it's not the end of it we're getting more changes to do with uh evicting tenants it's going to be much harder to do that and environmental policies as well which mean that you have to keep your property up to speed with the latest um, certification for yeah, environmental I mean, measures. Yeah, I mean, number number of different factors there. I mean, there is the intergenerational thing, but but also there's the so, the, the social thing. I because going back to those anecdotal stories. I mean, you know, my my friend acquaintance who who built up a portfolio of properties. He was doing it in in Cornwall. You know, yeah. so these were. These were holiday homes. He yes, was building a portfolio yes. of holiday homes, and of course, that's there's a big social element there. That you know, that you know, yeah. in one of the poorest parts of the country, you know, people being effectively shut out of the housing market mm-hmm. by people like my acquaintance. Yeah, which is not, which is not to be judgmental about that because I think I think that you know, people you know they can get quite animated in that discussion, but. You can't really blame people for taking advantages of systems and of circumstances that are there for them to to do that. It's kind of up to government to come up with a policy that gets everything pointed in the right direction. Yeah, and indeed you flip it the other way round and you create the circumstances in which lots of people, buy-to-let landlords, are selling properties. You then create other problems in the rental market because 
there is simply not the private rented accommodation anymore that is necessary. And this is why people are scrabbling around to find rented accommodation. It's so difficult. Now. Yeah, and, and rents have gone up. We're, we're going to come on just now, I think, to to talk about s- some of the challenges uh, more recently to, to buy to let. But one of the things sort of in the favour of landlords is that they've been able to pass on quite hefty rent rises just recently. Um, but of course, there's a reason why they need to do that. Because we have just had 11 consecutive interest rate rises. I had to reread that again and again. But we have had 11 consecutive monthly interest rate rises. Uh, That affects mortgage borrowers generally, of course. But it's pushed the average buy-to-let mortgage rate to 5.62%. I think that's a figure from the last few weeks. These things change all the time, of course. Um, And that's really put the whole equation for buy-to-let in doubt, actually, mm. for a lot of landlords. Um, so just to put some numbers on this, I'm aware on the podcast numbers don't always work, but these are instructive, <laughs> so bear with me, Tom. Uh, Hamptons, again, the estate agents, they said that a landlord who was achieving a yield of 6%, rental yield of 6% on their property, and owning 25% equity in it, um, if, you based, if, you, if you were to be based on the current mortgage rates and rents, you'd actually be making an annual profit of just £1,200. And that's if you're a basic rate taxpayer. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, you'd be making a loss of almost £1,400. Mm. Those are those are sort of hypotheticals, and definitely there'll be landlords who are making it work. But as an example of how squeezed things have become, that shows that it is increasingly difficult to make any kind of return from the rental side mm. of buy-to-let. And, and there's a quite a big assumption in those figures as well, which is that you can achieve a 6% yeah. uh, yield, which in certain parts of the country, I would say is pushing it, really. Mm-hmm. I'd be, I would be amazed if in London and the southeast you were getting a 6% yield. Uh, I mean, historically, um, some of the best returns from buy-to-let have been in lower house price areas of the market and and, I'm going back to my um, you know northern university uh, example Um, I mean some of the best yields are are, have been achieved in you know um, university towns places like Nottingham Sheffield Mm -hmm. you know um, uh, but I'd be amazed if you get six percent you know in in the southeast And, and it's pushed landlords to consider all sorts of you know the more weird and wonderful structures um, homes of multiple occupancy is a is a is where you sort of have separate addresses. I think in the same house, and somehow you can make that more profitable. You can uh, incorporate as a company to run run your your buy to lets, and that's a sort of tax efficient way of doing it in some circumstances. But all these things bring complication, risk, and actually sometimes more expense so Mm, mm. you know people are having to sort of push the model really to make it work and i've said that on on those numbers um the the rental side of buy to let struggles to work uh that puts pressure on house prices to grow or well it puts pressure on landlords for their houses to become more valuable because that really is ultimately the way they're gonna they're gonna make money now prices have been rising for many years that's all well and good but because of these high interest rates, that looks in question now. And the thing is, to come back to the really important point around gearing, that's when it becomes very, very worrisome to be a landlord. Because it's all very well saying, being, say, a stock market investor, 
I could lose money. Yes, well, I could. You know, 10% fall in my portfolio, that's going to be no fun. But a 10% fall on a load of properties that you own where actually your equity is only a very small part of that wipes out what you actually own. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, I I first got into the property market, you know, not as a buy-to-let, but with my own property um, in the... Uh, late 1980s and um, uh, and of course that was a big issue then that the, the market fell by 15 20 percent mm. and for many people that completely wiped them out it, it they, they, yeah. they it put them into negative equity the money that they had saved to put down on their property was gone at a stroke and it was because of that gearing effect yeah absolutely absolutely well um Finally, then, Tom, in this discussion, it's been a bit of a history lesson, this, but I think it's really, really, really fascinating because I sort of feel maybe, maybe we're coming to an end of a period that actually the last sort of 30 odd years when it comes to rental properties and small landlords might be seen as an anomaly in in history. And there was particular circumstances that led to its rise, but we now might be coming to, to an end of it. I mean, you know, when we weigh up buy to let as an investment, as people still want to do, because I think there's psychological attractions to owning property. There's also, by the way, really good financial reasons why you want the guaranteed income of rents. I mean, I write a lot about retirement income, very expensive and difficult to replicate the kind of guaranteed income of rents. Mm. So it's a very valuable thing if you can make it work. But but people are going to have to weigh up buy to let against something like the stock market investment there's a lot of hidden risks aren't there when it comes to to properties in general your risks are very very specific to the properties that you own if one thing goes wrong with them then suddenly you've got a real a real problem um but there's all sorts of other risks aren't they that that, that are comparable with invest other investments liquidity risk um and the fact you're geared in the in the way that you've described mm. <laughs> And all- just the hidden costs of, of, of oh, owning yeah. a property, which which very often um, when people consider whether they should, you know, go into buy to let, they don't really think through all of the costs of maintaining a property. Insurances, Insur- certificates, yeah, exactly. you, you know, any kind of fallow period that you might have. If you do get into dispute with tenants who decide not to pay you or, or want to string out um, disputes or whatever it is. That's just going to flay great chunks from your your rents, yeah. and and that just sort of yeah, or just a void period when you know between tenants, you know, a yeah. couple, couple of months. Now that's you know at the moment that that's that's not really an issue because people are queuing up for, for rental property. But there have been times in the past when you could easily, you know, have a couple of empty months, and that complete can dis- destroy the arithmetic of of um, of the, the calculation indeed indeed well look um tom uh that is all the time we have for now i think yeah it is a really worthwhile discussion obviously normally we will talk about um stock market and other financial markets but uh it is an issue that i think uh, will affect lots of the listeners one way or the other so for now tom thanks for joining me thanks ed Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile 
volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.